0: Casting from an undisclosed location from a secret hunting spot known only to him and the guy who told him about it and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him it's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe this is the hunting show find the hunting show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics
1: that's right it's another week of the hunting show I'm your host Stephen Spargo and we did miss last week it was a public holiday in New Zealand. I know that doesn't mean anything to the rest of the world, but I decided to have the long weekend off. Well, those of you that know about my daytime job, unfortunately, I had to work during the day, but it meant I could have sunshine and barbecues here at home, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Something I didn't thoroughly enjoy though was yesterday. Yesterday went into Waikato Hospital I had a big chunk of my lamb shank taken out my left shank there and I'm on some pretty hefty painkillers now and no hunting for me according to the doctor for up to four weeks so I'm going to be hopping around for the next four weeks in a little bit of pain but the old painkillers have kicked well and truly in so we'll see how this interview goes yes it will be an interesting one this week's interview is someone who is joining me in my in my post-surgery pain as someone I'm a bit of a fan of and someone I watch very closely online it's Nicole McKee how are you
0: I'm great thanks Stephen doing a bit better than
1: you by the sound oh, of it you know, I'll be fine now Nicole first of all you've had some some changes over the last few months do you want to just elaborate on those so we can kick on with the meaty part of the interview
0: yeah sure so uh I've recently been disestablished from my position with New Zealand Mountain Safety Council as a firearms and hunter safety program manager. So, as a result of that, I thought instead of sitting back and applying for jobs, which was what I was doing and not really finding <laughs> anything that took my fancy, I, uh, with the support of my husband, he said, "Why don't you just start your own business as a firearms safety specialist?" And I thought, "What the heck? I've got nothing to lose, everything to gain." So I've done that. So Firearms Safety Specialist New Zealand Limited has uh, been established and uh, and I'm underway doing my own business. So, and I, yeah.
1: I hear that you, you've got some contracts already or some contracts in the pipeline already.
0: Yes. So uh, I've recently, one of the things that I want to do is uh, policy documents for corporate users, those that are using firearms. And uh, I've been lucky enough to have an international airport come to me and say, can you look over our firearms use and and." do a policy for us for safe use. So been able to do that and that's been quite successful. Uh, and New Zealand police have just come to me in the last week or so asking me to take over the Whakatupato programme from Mountain Safety Council, deliver that to rural and isolated Māori communities. So that gets underway next month. And uh, I'm really, really excited about that. That was a, a programme and an initiative that I believed in and uh, I've been given it back and asked to run with it again, so uh, I'm very, very excited. So we're going to carry that on in the Central North Island with Nati Too Funny Tour. And if I can, if I can just touch on that, Stephen, that initiative of theirs, I think is absolutely amazing. Their āriki, the chief of their tribe, has suggested that he would like to help all of his people get licensed. And uh, what they've decided to do is come up with a payment system where they're going to pay for the licences of 20 people from each marae. So they've asked us to come in there and and do a course, which we've turned into a two-day course. So we touch on safety, hunting ethics, um, first aid, uh, how how to get in position properly, all sorts of things. And uh, they will pay for the license applications of twenty people from each marae, and there are yeah. twenty-six marae in the Araki. Just uh,
1: just touching on that, though, it's not just about the license, is it? There's also the gun safe and and that kind of stuff. Where are they? Are they going anywhere with that, or are they still working on it?
0: Well, we we will be touching on that, and the main issue with uh, our isolated communities is really around security. Mm. Believe it or not besides the uh, recent tragic incident that we've had in Tikaha, there's actually only been one recorded non-intentional firearms incident uh, that occurred in a death with a Māori in the last 20 years. Gee, really? Yep.
1: I believe you, but so, um, I, I wouldn't have thought... Uh, statistically, that's great.
0: So, uh, unfortunately, it's now two, mm. uh, but that that is that's huge, really. So they're obviously doing something right with mm. their... Firearm Safety, and uh, Joe Green, Inspector Joe Green from New Zealand Police, did a study uh, a couple of years ago about this, about, you know, why are you guys not having incidents? And there seems to be just a a whole different thinking pattern around how uh, rural or isolated Māori go into the bush and how they look after each other and how they train each other. It seems to be a bit different from everyone else. But the issues that they do have is with their security. So they go home and they put their loaded firearm at the back door, mm-hmm. or they they don't they don't secure their firearms. Um, so I shouldn't say they because I'm I'm part Mouldy too. We don't secure our firearms <laughs> properly in rural communities. So yeah. we that's that's the issues that we mainly address. Sure, it's hunter safety and we don't not address that. We do address it because. You know that's that's very very relevant, but uh, we're going into these communities where people have generally be u- been using firearms for some period of time. They've been brought up around them, so it's firearms safety that we look at as opposed to hunter safety. Mm. It's more yeah you know, the whole the whole general around firearms safety rather than that particular issue because they don't appear to have a problem with it.
1: Mm. Now just talking about problems. And this is this is really the the guts of this interview. I, I feel mm. like we're about to have thrust upon us some real, potentially some reform. And the fear I have around that reform is that firearms owners and hunters are not going to be the ones leading the charge. How do you how do you propose? Well, first of all, do you agree with me? Is there a chance that's going to be lawmakers and people that, that aren't with the best intentions don't understand what we what we do that are going to be putting these things on us
0: now there's a forum that New Zealand police lead it's the community firearms community advisory forum I've been on that uh, and I'm still on it as a representative of of another organisation, they get all these uh, organisations in, and they sit down and give us a bit of a heads up on what they're going to be doing. And one of the things that they said uh, in about June this year, when we had our last meeting, was that there will be an arms amendment act. Oh, sorry, arms amendment act bill coming out pretty shortly. They suggested it could be by the end of this year, beginning of next year. And that's before we had mm. the big blip and incidents. Um, so there is something coming. They've also indicated that there's going to be a full review of the ARMS Act. Uh, When we questioned why, it was, well, everything needs a review every now and again. So we don't know what that's going to entail. So when you get back to your question of, should we allow them to tell us what or how it should look, what reforms, if any, should look like, uh, or should we go in there with suggestions? I think their answer is, we need to go in there with suggestions on what we find, as fit and proper people, that's working for us. Um, what we think might need improving. So then the question, Stephen, is well, how do we go about mm. doing that? You know, and uh, when I look at the numbers of licensed users, we've got two hundred and forty-one thousand people with firearms licences, and less than forty thousand of them belong to clubs. Now the policy makers who don't necessarily have firearms licences, they're just the law law writers um, they want to hear from the clubs and they want to hear from the associations and organizations and industry they don't want to hear from joe blogs they want to hear from the collective group so in my thoughts we actually need to be out there joining up with clubs and getting our voices heard now, there's an organization called COLFO, the Council of Licensed Firearm Owners, and they represent a number of organisations. So, such as Pistol New Zealand, National Rifle Association, Antique Arms. there's a whole number of them that that belong or have representatives on the COLFO board. And COLFO is a political group that will go in there and bat for what they they think collectively the fit and proper licensed users want to know about. Of course, not everybody agrees with Colfo. Not everybody agrees with with uh, whatever's going to come out from New Zealand Police or whatever's being put forward by an association. But we need to have a voice. Mm. And if we sit back, the people that are going to make the decisions are probably the ones that don't have any experience or any knowledge. They are the writers, and uh, and we do need to have a voice out there.
1: Mm. I think, though, that where I s- and I agree with you wholeheartedly in that. I think we have to be very careful how we have that discussion because what's happening right now is it's a it's a backlash or well actually it is it's exactly what it is it's a real backlash from firearms owners and hunters particularly on public forums they're not private forums these are public forums facebook twitter uh, even our even the new zealand hunting and shooting type forums and they're not Doing this in a constructive manner, they're not having the discussion; they're having their opinion, and they're putting it across in a way that can only be described as as it's almost redneck and backward. It's not it's not helping the situation at all, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, look, I completely agree. We, as as license users, as hunters, as as, as shooters, we're being attacked basically. We we are we're being attacked by the media, um, and we're having. Everyone having a go at us, and we need to constructively come back with something to show that we are the fit and proper people that police have deemed us to be. But I've read some of those forums and I've read some of the comments on on social media, and I I shake my head and think, yeah. oh really? Have you really put that in writing? Because you you're making us all look like we are rednecks. In fact, you're justifying to the to the media why we need more controls over how we purchase them and, and own our firearms oh, um yeah i, I and, literally and I,
1: nuclear face palm when i when i see some of these comments it, it really it makes me cringe as a firearm owner yep. and all i can imagine is what the general public are taking from these discussions
0: exactly mm. I, mean, I can understand people being angry but when you're going to look at, a, at how you put it in a public forum I think you really need to think about who's going to be reading it, mm. um and what people think. And the thing is, this the way that the media have reacted recently over um situations has, has scaremongered the general public. I look I live in Wellington I live in a quite a well to do suburb. Um but That's I've had firearms you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the <laughs> West House on the best street type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My house definitely stands out in this street, that's for sure. Uh, it hasn't been painted since it was built in 1915. Anyway, uh, I've got four kids, right, and um, they've been brought up with firearms all their lives. And one of the things we did when they were small is we bought them all toy firearms, wooden firearms. The slings are made out of old car seat belts, you know, and they look like toys. They're not full size. But... We, they were given to the kids to show that you know, when you go out and play, these are the certain things that you need to be doing. So the kids know the seven rules of them all the time. So last week, my 11-year-old daughter was outside playing with her mate, and they decided that it was a zombie apocalypse, and they were going to go out and have a, have a go at finding some zombies. So they slung up their two rifles, and off they went. And I was up in my backyard up quite high looking down. I could see what they were doing. They weren't pointing the firearms at anybody, the toys, I should say. They weren't pointing them at anyone. Husband and I are up the back, and I look down the road. i was like, oh, there's a police car. Look up the road. Oh, there's another one. Then there's another one. Then there's another one with lights going. Oh, look, there's a dog one. I was just about to yell out to the girls, hey, don't go too far. You know, there's obviously something going on around here. And next uh, thing I come inside, I get a phone call. It's the police. We're outside your house please come out. Oh, okay, go out there. There's these two 11-year-old girls standing there with the police who have their two toy guns. And they said to me, oh, we had a couple of phone calls from your neighbours saying that they were two women running around with guns. And I said, what? And I said, look, you can see that they're obviously, you know, they're obviously toys. She said, yes. At one stage, he suggested he wanted to come into the house to check the security of my real firearms. And I thought, where is this going? My girls were quite upset, and I said to them, you've done nothing wrong. You haven't done anything illegal at all. And the police officer said to me, well, I want to know what you're going to do to ensure that this doesn't happen again. And I said, absolutely nothing. Mm. And, uh, and he said, oh, oh. and I said, well, what are you going to do to ensure that those people that rang you are not going to do so and waste your time? And he said, oh, well, you know, they had concerns. And I said, well, tell them where I live, give them the number, tell them to come on over, and I'll show them what a real firearm looks like because it looks nothing like these. And we'll have a discussion about firearms and firearm safety. I'm an instructor. So he said, oh, right, right. And I said to him, you know, these girls were outside running up and down the street climbing trees. Are you telling me that they need to change that habit and it's okay for them to go inside, get on Xbox, pull up a game where they pretend that they're in a shopping mall shooting people and that's okay, but it's not all right for them to be running around outside and playing in the street. He says, All oh, right, I get your point. And I said, I'm not changing a thing. Why why should I have to? Why should they have to stop playing out in the street because of someone else's insecurity? So what scares me, Stephen, is that the general public are being scaremongered by the media display that they're getting and with our reactions on social media that the general public are reading, we actually look like the rednecks. Mm. And, uh, and it's not helping our cause. We need to be more constructive about the way that we respond to the allegations that media and, and that are putting out there.
1: Can I can I just put something to you, Nicole? Don't you think that as firearms owners, and I'm going to put us all in one big tub just for a moment, yep. that we actually have to take some, a resp- some real responsibility to how the media... Are able to react because if we'd done everything right if we had been the good salt of the earth kiwis that we should have been sensible understanding helpful the public wouldn't buy into it in the first place so i i, I want to put this to you and i'm really pay, playing devil's advocate here that we're in this position because we got ourselves here as well nope <laughs> yes! That's why I like you, Nicole. I like that.
0: No, I, I don't agree at all. You've got cars. As long as there's cars out there, people are going to have accidents. You can't take away the human factor from it. Uh, people are still going to steal cars. They're still going to get drunk and drive them illegally. And they're still going to crash them. It's, it happens every day. Fire, yeah, hang on, hang um, on, though.
1: The difference is it's not yeah. race car drivers doing that. Okay? We, as as firearms owners, I think we actually have to take some responsibility because it is, it is firearms owners and it's licensed firearms owners at large that are making these comments, that are giving us the, the, like a PR nightmare uh, leading up to these events. And I think if we were just a little bit more united, the media wouldn't have the public support to throw the shit they are.
0: Yeah, in saying that though, we do have organisations that are being the voice. It's just we don't have enough people in those organisations. And I'll go back to under under 40,000 people in clubs. So if you want to voice what you're saying, so all the clubs and organisations I belong to in emails, they're, they're... being constructive because they know that their organisation is going to be heard somewhere along the line Um, and I suspect that maybe those ones that are making the comments the adverse comments on on social media, maybe they don't belong to clubs, Uh, maybe they think that no one else is reading and do we need to be responsible We can't be responsible for everybody else's actions, but we need to look at ourselves and remember that we were the ones that were deemed to be fit and proper. We need to show that we are mature people because we're handling tools that are capable of lethal force. And that's what's scaring the general public. And when we come out swearing and cursing and suggesting that bad things need to happen to other people because Mm -hmm. they've, they've given their views that we don't agree on, then that's that shows us in a really poor light. Mm. But you know, at the end of the day, we can't be responsible for other people's actions, but we can be responsible for how we respond. Mm. And, and
1: Do you know what makes me really cringe? And this is slightly off topic, is when you're talking about firearms safety, ownership, law reform, and you see these comments on oh, – I'm going to use Facebook as the main one – and then somehow they turn it into a 1080 argument. Have you seen that? That just that makes my head explode. What are you on about? I'm not going to get into 1080 with you now, Nicole, but holy crap. And if they would stop putting 1080 on the land, oh, mate.
0: You know, I, I love firearm owners, and I've met so many of them. <laughs> when before I was with Mountain Safety Council, I was with a, um, a Steve's Wholesale Limited and we were the Hornady, or he is the Hornedy and Nosler importer and gunpowder importer. And I used to do gunpowder deliveries around, around the country to the retailers. And, and I love them, eh? They're neat. And the guys that would come into the shops. The thing that we all have in common is passion. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we get we get on a topic and we're so passionate about it. 1080 is one of them and no matter what happens, <laughs> we'll bring everything back to 1080. Mm. you know, Because that's that's killing the livelihood that's that's killing the farmer's livelihood that's taking away our our, animal, our own dogs and oh. that and it's taking away our ability to be able to hunt in the areas that we feel we should be able to and i think that this is one area that needs not be underestimated by the policy writers mm. is the is that go getter attitude and passion of license holders, mm. we just need to, to direct it in a in a in a way that's a bit more effective rather than just slagging off at people.
1: Yeah, and I I, I don't have an answer for you there, Nicole. I don't know whether mm. is it that we actually do what some countries do and actually legislate that you have to be a member of a a thing. Uh, I, I don't want to go down that path, but it's something about what you've said actually really resonates with me. Or is it that when you have a fire when you have a uh, when you get your firearms license, you're automatically a member of something like the Council of Licensed Firearm Owners. I don't, I don't know where to go with this, but something's missing.
0: There's a link missing, isn't there? I, I see two things that, you know, two possibilities if that, that were to occur. One is I don't, I do not want to go down the path of Australia with the you must belong to a club in order to have a firearms license because one of the things is we don't even have enough rangers in New Zealand to, to cope with that. Uh, the second one is that would make the clubs and organisations a huge political force against the government and I don't know if they would like that. And the yeah, example yeah, I'll give again it. the example I'll give again is in Australia. You've got Sporting Shooters Association of Australia who collect a fee for all these people joining their club and they just go give it to to Parliament, to to their government, sorry. And they they are in there fighting tooth and nail. They've got full time jobs. So that's what could come up, you know, or come out of it either Colfo, Council of Licensed Fire Owners or another organisation could come in and and be that voice I think we need a voice we need a collective voice and at the moment the only organisation set up to do that for the main clubs and and other associations is Colfo, Uh, and they need everybody's input but again we have to protect each other and look after each other and give constructive feedback, not just flag off an organisation or whoever's made a comment on something because you don't like what they're saying, Uh, you've know, you actually got to think outside the square and come back with what you think might be best for all firearms users, getting back to that, all the users, whether they be small ball shooters or whether they be big game hunters.
1: Again, I I, I hate to harp on, but it's about leading the discussion, isn't it? We need to lead the discussion uh, rather than be dictated to.
0: Yes. So at the moment, my understanding is that uh, we're basically sitting around waiting to see what they're going to come back with. But I guess the the positive things that we've heard is despite Police Association hammering the changes that they want and uh, despite media doing what they want, what's come out of police, the commissioner, the minister and the prime minister so far is that we actually don't see a problem. And to be honest, I don't see a problem either. You know, the people that are committing the crimes generally don't have licences. Quite right. And my my personal opinion is that we actually need to not look at changing something that is working for the law-abiding people. And generally, the Arms Act, uh, coupled with the regulations, is working. But what's not working is what is happening when the criminals get hold of firearms and what they're doing with it. So... My personal opinion is look at changing the Crimes Act rather than the Arms Act and making the penalties harsher for those that are using firearms illegally as a deterrent to them doing it instead of focusing the issues on the Arms Act and focusing changing what isn't broken with these fit and proper users, and that's us.
1: Mm. Speaking of people that obtain firearms illegally, we had a New Zealand journalist recently managed to do that I don't want to go on to on about this for too long but what are your opinions on what she did and what she was able to pull off
0: throw the book at her simple <laughs> as that she committed a crime you know she went about if it was anybody else we would have the book thrown at us we yeah. would be prosecuted uh, she has forged a document she's illegally obtained a firearm and if it was anybody any other member of the new zealand public they would be hauled over the coals for it and she should be too she said she's trying to make a point well anyone that breaks the law is capable of getting away with with stuff if they're going to go about breaking the law whether it's the arms act or the land transport act or whatever it is if you're determined to to do something then you'll do it you know and she's she's broken the law and i i do not believe that the way she went about it you know, was was about showing that there was a loophole in the system. You know, really? Really? <laughs> I sit there and think, what what criminal is going to go about saying, oh, look what Heather's done, I'm going to go and get one of these now and I'm going to fill in a form and give a phone number and, a, and an address and I'm actually going to pay some money to illegally obtain my firearm. You know, she's just gone about trying to sensationalise herself. That's my own mm. opinion. She's committed a crime. She's committed several crimes and she should be held accountable for them, just like any other New Zealander.
1: Yeah, she was just trying to produce clickbait, really, wasn't she? That was it was. All she it was.
0: was. Mm. Yep, and again, it's another dig at the fit and proper people. You know, I look at what Gun City did. I'm not knowledgeable of the complete ins and outs of this case, just the things that you hear, and it doesn't look like they've done anything wrong. They've gone through their processes all right, and I think, if anything... Yep, maybe there should be a review on the processes and see if that they can be tightened up. But she did still commit a crime. She did make an illegal act to obtain a firearm illegally and, you know, she's got to be responsible for that action. Agree. At least least held accountable for it.
1: But do you think that she highlighted anything worthwhile? Uh, At very least, she started the discussion.
0: She could have gone about it a different way. You know, and again, this comes back to we look at our fit and proper licensed users and we're saying, you know, watch the way that you're communicating as to how you're going to be seen on the outside. Well, she could have gone about it a different way. But
1: would anyone have have cared?
0: Well, at the moment, maybe they would have because there's so much stuff going on anyway. Hard to say. We can't can't pretend to know. know, (laughs) Well, we
1: can. We can. (laughs) So... (laughs)
0: <laughs> but like but like I say, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's been happening at the moment. She could have brought it out mm. and said that there was a problem. But um in saying that there's still arguments. People still argue that they don't think there is a problem. And that in order for her to obtain it she still had to commit a crime. Impersonating mm. a police officer is not a good thing to be doing.
1: No, and no, it generally doesn't go down very well, to be honest. <laughs>
0: No.
1: Hey, one more subject I want to touch on, and it's not one I prepped you for beforehand, and it just came out of something you said earlier.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's
1: something that I've got a real strong opinion on. That's toy guns. Yep. And and I wanted to touch on this, and I wrote it down. So it's 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 on my list now. What are your opinions on children playing with toy guns?
0: I think it's a great idea if they are taught simple, basic safety rules. So I gave my kids firearms, toy guns, at a young age, and they had to demonstrate to me that they were capable of understanding what the basic principles of safety was with those guns before they were given the real ones. So, um, you know, my kids have been shooting real firearms since a very young age. They're competent with them, and like I say, my youngest is eleven. So, and and she's doing four position uh, shoots, competition shoots with hers. Yeah. But I started her off with, you know, here's a here's a toy firearm, go out and play with your mate. To see what her understanding is with those firearms, you know, those toy guns. Same thing. Don't point the muzzle at yourself or anybody else. Treat it as being loaded. Keep your finger off the trigger. There's there's not even a trigger on those guns. They're just where the trigger would be. But it's how do you handle it? It's the handling aspect of it. Now I'm saying that I'm a little bit different, aren't I, Stephen? Because I've been fully immersed in firearms and firearms safety. So um, my expectations of children would be be a bit, you know, a bit more harsh, I guess. And uh, I am very strict with my kids. Uh, but you know, why not? We let them play with bows and arrows. What happened to cowboys in India? Yeah, you
1: know, are we
0: get? I come are from we a getting that angle. PC? Are we? Well,
1: no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm not particularly PC. But I do come at it from a different angle because I've always had real firearms at home. I've, I've always thought that I didn't want there to be any confusion. At no point is a firearm a toy. But that, that's my personal, again, it's just a personal thing. I, I don't have a problem with toy guns at large. I just made that decision in my household yeah. um, that I just didn't want, I never wanted there to be confusion. Firearms are never toys. Therefore, I do not want toy firearms in my home.
0: Uh, right, look hey absolutely I agree i I agree with you that they're not toys and hmm. I don't know how actually i just thinking about it now I don't know how I've been able to differentiate between the two of the kids, but I guess I've just used them as day hmm. as a as a showcase where you show me how you handle this properly before you're given the real thing and like I said, you know the other day I was up the back and I was looking down I could see the girls on the street you know. The main thing was with them was having it slung over their back while they climbed the trees and ran up and down the road. They they weren't actually handling them as such. They were they just had them, and it was more about if a zombie came around the corner we yeah you know, we could get it. But the zombie the zombie never came around the corner, and the girls were too busy just being kids. So yeah, I don't know. I guess that's a really good point that you make uh-huh. about about it, but. I haven't seen a problem, and with these kids shooting from so long, you know, for such a long time, they know the difference between a toy and a real firearm, and they treat both as being real. Mm.
1: And you've done very well to do that. Again, like I said, it's just a personal thing. It wasn't a loaded question. I do look at the United mm. States a bit and see how many children over there are accidentally shooting each other. It's actually a bizarre stat. I don't have it with me because uh, I wasn't quite prepared for that question. But uh, mm. you know. It's, a, it's an interesting one, and I, I like the fact that we've got different opinions on that.
0: Yeah, the security over in the States is, uh, you know, they don't have yeah, they don't have to have their firearms secured. And they can also have firearm for self-protection as part of the Second Amendment. So, mm. you know, they do have loaded firearms around. And, you know, that's got to contribute yeah. to the high incident rates with children. Especially if they are not brought up around guns or shown how to use them, I think you know TV and 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 games have a lot to to say for it as well. And, and you know, in saying that, I don't, I, I actually don't have a television at home. I haven't had one for twelve years. Really? So the kids have not. Yeah, yeah. Really? So the kids have not. Oh. <laughs> so the kids have not had Xbox or or any of those sort of playstation games or anything like that so that's why they're outside outdoors playing in the street no, sort of oh. no TV don't need a TV I
1: like TV Nicole
0: we're enough entertainment to, to <laughs> <way>. <laughs>
1: I'm just saying I really like TV I, I'm, I'm gonna leave it there I don't I don't spend my whole life in front of it and uh and and that's a bonus because I, I certainly do enjoy it hey you've been a great interview again and I, 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 re, I remake that point that uh, I am a big fan and I do keep an eye on what you're up to and I'm going to be watching not completely it's not stalker level just before you go there um, but I will be keeping an eye on what's happening with with your business and I, I wish you all the best Nicole
0: Thanks, Stephen. And hey, thanks for the for the call up too. It's been great catching up with you.
1: Not a problem. And next time you're in Topor, uh, give me a, a bell and we'll catch up for a coffee.
0: Hey, that sounds great. I we'll might e- I
1: might even pay.
0: <laughs> you might have to. I haven't I haven't got <laughs> much money in my account yet. <laughs> All good, mate. Thanks, Stephen. Cheers.
1: That's us for another week. Be careful out there, guys. Uh, be active on our page. Be active with us because you could win that great prize from NZ Outdoor Hunting Magazine, that 12-month subscription. And keep an eye out next month for another article. Yes, they got me to write another one. The last one wasn't quite controversial enough. I feel this one might be. Be careful and good hunting.